Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Rodney Hood has it right side. No timeout. Down to 12 seconds left. Harding guarding Hood. He pounds on the right-hand dribble. Here comes Hayward on the pick and roll with five. He rolls to the left. Three. Gives to Favors. Dunks with one. Derek Favors dunks it with 1.6 seconds to play. And Utah leads on a Derek Favors Jam! It is Locked on Jazz for the 8th of June. The first day of I Am the Jazz GM goes off with a bang, and it's day two of that. The big story of the day is the two-minute reports go away. Rodney Hood to the select team and more discussions about the NBA Finals. It's all coming up on today's edition of Locked on Jazz. How are you? I'm David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz, Jazz NBA Insider. Thanks for taking the time with us. If you're new to the show, we certainly appreciate you taking the time. It's just our morning little get-together. I have a cup of coffee. You have whatever you're going to have, and we chat about what's going on with the NBA and the Utah Jazz. That's how we we do it. We started a new feature uh, that's been a good deal of fun, which is uh, you are the Jazz GM. And so the way this works is you send me an email at dlock09 at gmail.com. And you tell me uh, what trade you'd like. I'm the GM of the other team. I respond. If we come to an agreement, you better be ready for your press conference. Uh, Here are yesterday, we had our first one. GM Aaron Rourke traded Dante Exum and the 12th pick to Minnesota for Ricky Rubio. Uh, one, uh, the, the, the response from the fan base and the talk radio reaction after uh, General Manager Work's press conference um, was, was not good. Included a Aaron Work, fireaaronwork.com, which was pretty epic. Uh, but here are some of the other comments that came in. Unless GM Rourke has pulled a switcheroo on the Wolves by trading someone named XM instead of XM, Rourke needs to be fired. Brad Cropper says XM's done nothing. We'll take time to get back from the ACL. Great trade. We need to start performing now to keep Gordon. If we don't keep him, we're starting over. Jonathan said, I like Rubio. However, we need three-point shooting, and I won't give up on XM already. He's too much potential to trade. Brandon says, no, although it's a current upgrade. Long-term, Exum has a massive upside. Rubio just doesn't have Exum. can be the future of the franchise. Rubio is a great role player. And Mike says, I didn't know the Jazz were in win-now mode. DL is trying to take the Jazz ascent with the descent of other squads. We trade a 2014-5 and a 2016-12 for a 2009-5. That's not doing that. I don't like the thought process and Rubio's an acquisition target, but I'm not, and I'm not fond of this deal. Lots of comments. 
Harley says, Minnesota be licking their chops. Worst trade idea ever. Doug says, as Donald would say, you're fired. Brett says, yes, huge upgrade at point guard. So those were the opening day reactions to the first day of trade general manager. We'll have another one coming up in a moment. But first, we do our pins across the world. Something we always join in each and every day. Mitch Menning, I know you're off. Uh, This was sent in March. Uh, This is... uh, Far more than a boring location, I live in Murray, Utah. I was born in Minnesota as a Twins and Vikings fan before the Timberwolves arrived. I grew up a big Sixer fan with Barkley, Malone, and Dr. J. I married my wife with Utah Roots in 96. Our first year of marriage, I was teaching middle school math in Chicago and decided to embrace her team, the Utah Jazz, while living in Chicago. This made for some banter with my students who were Bulls fans. I've always loved basketball, but I've loved the uniqueness of the Jazz. When we moved to Utah in 2000, my fan followed. Following became even more enjoyable as we left the Stockton Maloney ushered in D. Will, Memo, Boozer, AK-47, and then began New Hope of the D. Will trade, and really enjoyed seeing the development in Quinn's work. I'll never forget December 29, 2007, when we traded for Kyle Korver. I called my dad immediately, said he that the trade for a guy who grew up in Pella, Iowa, Turns out my dad knew Kyle's dad. In 2009, my connection became more personal as Kyle and I were two of the number of people in our church who made a pretty cool public statement on a Sunday. Since that moment, life has been quite an adventure. After thinking, thinking our family was complete with three children, my wife and I adopted a son in 2010, then adopted two more children from Haiti in 2011. 2013, I became the head of Intermountain Christian School with six children in leading school. Life's been crazy. And there's little margin, sometimes not even enough to watch or listen to the jazz. But one thing that's remained a concept is being able to listen to tip-offs and postcasts on Locked On Jazz. Uh, thank you very much to Mitch. And uh, good story. Jazz touches and NBA touches us all in different little aspects of our life. Liked that one. All right, let's get to the tip-off story of the day. It's the NBA officials would like the league to end the two-minute report. I might agree with the officials here. I really might. Um, I think I think this is interesting. So, the I have two. The idea on this was transparency, uh, showing the fan base that they would admit when there were mistakes. I don't know if I think it's done any good at all. Uh, the officials are a million times better than any of us think. Uh, particularly if Kane Fitzgerald is being moved into roles, and I think he's, you know, horrendous. And the league in their evaluation mode has him as a as a good official. It tells you exactly what's happened to me. It happens to everyone else. I, I emotionally have have decided he's he's uh, he's good. Anytime he misses a call, I go nuts. Um, and the fact is, when you watch the Warriors and the Cavaliers, if you're a Jazz fan and you're not invested in the game and you haven't put money on the game, uh, you don't think any of these officials are that bad. It's when your team's involved and they, uh, and they're, they're, you're, you think every call's missed. Now, the officials miss calls. No one's ever believed otherwise. The, for us, the Jeff Withy call against Houston is the huge one, and there's the inbound pass uh, in the Oklahoma City Spurs game. Uh, and so those things still exist, and I think the league would still be necessary in the most massive moments to release those statements. 
uh, about plays, but I'm not sure that the goal that ha- was set out by Adam Silver, which was to have transparency and somehow show the fan base that there's not any bias going on, is actually worked at all. Uh, and if it's done anything, I think it's probably highlighted and devalued the officials who are really pretty good. Uh, so my my thought is that the, the officials might be right on this, that there, there really might be a feeling that this, this is accentuating the negative more than it needs to. USA Today did a report. Uh, the refs make the right call 96.2% of the time um, on whistled plays. They were accurate 87% of the time on all non-calls of the 500 that were reviewed during the playoffs. That 87 number seems low. It's a little misleading because every non-call that should have been a call just goes into that mix, and you can't call all the non-call. You don't get credit for all the non-calls that weren't fouled. So that's a little. The really interesting number is that ninety-six percent of whistled plays are accurate. I don't think any of you believe that, and if you don't believe that, that and it's you know I think I don't think anyone's there's any conspiracy going on here. I don't think anyone's trying to protect anyone here. Uh, if you don't believe that, which I would guess you probably don't, then the two-minute report's not working. And so I'm not sure. I guess I'm going to side with the, the referees on this. I think it's devaluing the officials. It's highlighting errors. Uh, it And it's not doing any good for the game. And I would argue that this year, with knowing how much the Jazz were on the wrong side of it with the work of Andy Larson and other work and things of that nature that I know, uh, it devalued my enjoyment and got in my head a little bit as a fan of the team. And so I would say I thought maybe it was a negative experience um, all the way around. Uh, So I'm going to side with that. The other one I would point out is that the league is still um, going to do 48-minute reports that all the franchises see. We We learned that throughout the year. And so I would say, you know, maybe it doesn't really matter whether they're being public because the fact of the matter is that they are. Uh, everything else is being being sent out there. All right, let's go to our trade of the day, our GM of the day. Um, this is from Jared DeVries. I will put this up at Google. This is will be up by the time you listen at Google Plus, Locked On Sports, and Locked On Sports on Facebook. And his, uh, he wants to send Derek Favors and the 12th pick to Boston for the number three, the number 23, and the number 31. Before, there were a lot of trade Derek Favors um, emails. There were a lot of trade everybody because I got about 100 emails yesterday. Can I just... Take a minute on favors. <clears throat> In his last five years, he's gone from nine points, eight point eight to nine point four to thirteen point three to sixteen to sixteen point four points a game. His assist total has gone from one to one point two to one point five to one point five. His assist is steal levels at about one a game. His blocks is at one and a half. He's increased his free throw shooting from sixty percent his rookie year, sixty five his second year to seventy one percent this year. 
His two-point shooting dropped because we spread him out as a shooter. Um, and after he came back from the back injury, he definitely didn't shoot as well. But if you look at his 10 to 16 foot shooting, it's gone from 24% in 2011-12 to 37% in 12-13 to 13-14. It was 37 to 40% in 14-15 to last year at 39%. It's not Aldridge. It's not Nowitzki. But it's heading in the right direction. If you get him to 45, 44, 45%, it's actually fabulous. His 16 to Three-point range shooting has gone from 27% in two, three years in a row to 34% the last two years. Again, a great level of improvement. Uh, I don't like traditional stats, but he's averaging 16 points and eight rebounds a game in 32 minutes a night. Uh, he's 6'10". He can guard both switch out one through four at a real size in a way that most guys can't. And and really, there just aren't that many guys out there that are getting you 16 points and eight rebounds a game. I mean, I again, there's there's I'm probably one who, you know, is more interested in trying to talk about, uh, you know, talk about advanced stats and things of that nature and. The only question I think that that exists on Derek right now is that for some reason in the last year his defense in as a center has not been as good. But there's only 12 guys in the league that average 16 and 8. Some of them are unbelievable stars, Durant and Aldridge and Millsap and Love and Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Drummond and Anthony Davis and Pau Gasol and DeMarcus Cousins and Nikolai Vukovic and Blake Griffin and Derek Favors. Right? And, and Derek Favors. I, I, I just want to, before we get into this, I want to address, like, what... Then you add the fact he's got a great contract, he's up for an extension, and he likes to be here. I, I'm just, I'm not sure why. I guess if you decide you just don't, the, the only way to explain wanting to trade Derek is if you've somehow decided that Rudy and Derek are are not compatible, you can't win with both of them. You can't be good enough offensively. And, uh, and so you're going to move one of them. And you don't believe that Derek's good enough to be a, a center at times, I, I guess. Um, but I, I don't, honestly, I just want to make sure it's clear here. I don't get it. Uh, I, and I don't actually even buy into some of the things we're talking about. We go back to the fact that the core of this team, when it's been on the floor together, has been fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Uh you know, if you go look at five-man data or four-man data of our primary lineups, they're all crazy positive, right? Our starting lineup with Neto was plus seven, with Mac was plus nine, with Favors and Lyles was plus ten, with Lyles and Gobert was plus eleven. It, it it's terrific. Derek's on the floor for our elite defensive lineups. You know, Favors and 
Gobert together didn't get to play a great deal because of injury. But when they were on the floor together, we were fine. So, you know, we were plus four with the two of them on the floor together. Offensive rating of 106, defensive rating of 102. Again, you go look at our two-man units. The only ones that are negative are Trevor Booker with Gordon Hayward. Trey Lyles and Rodney is interesting. Trey Burke and Gordon's negative. Booker and Ingles is negative as a two-man. Booker and Favors is negative. Burke and Ingles is negative. Ingles and Hayward is negative. And Lyles and Gobert was actually negative one together for the whole season. That's of the top 50 lineups that we put out there, 40 lineups we put out. There are only a few negatives. So just now now we'll continue because I'm now Boston's general manager. And uh, so I take the trade. If I'm Boston, I'm getting favors and 12 for 3, 23, and 31. All right. I've got a bona fide piece in the middle that can defensively do everything I want. I'm not getting a superstar for the third pick, and I'm getting a guy who's top five, six in his position. Uh, Jared hosts his – now Jared DeVries has made his trade – uh, and here is his press conference. He says the Jazz get Dragon Bender, who has the potential to be an all-NBA caliber player. By the way, I, I would point out as the talk show host, who's gonna, is, so is Derek Favors. Uh, he can stretch the four, also can protect the rim. That's a long-term. Short-term, Trey Lyles fills in for Favors while Bender adjusts the NBAs for picks 23 and 31 in this draft. Such a wish-wash. You could easily get a player like DeJounte Murray, <coughs> Timothy Luau, Maybe at 31, you can get Malachi Richardson or Thon Maker. Uh, when I think I can see about Dragon Bender being a star of the franchise, potential to be a guy that leads a team deep in the playoffs in the finals, I think he's worth the risk. I, I have to admit, I don't know enough about Dragon Bender to do this. Uh, a member of the media then asked him, uh, what does this do to your timetable of making the playoffs, and when do you believe the team will be better? You've decided to have three of your 15 roster spots be rookies. I believe the Jazz may be slightly worse in the short term while taking a gamble that can get a great in the future. Not only all of that, uh, but it helps the salary situation as well. We take $10 million off the cap minus the third pick. The Jazz will, with all their pieces, it will be hard for them to pay all in the future. And the trade makes sense. We get Favors' contract off the books. Uh, Hayward, Gobert, Hood, Exum, all are going to need new contracts. The $10 million owned on Favors' current deal along with the next one would make the situation even harder. Yes, this may be a setback overall plan for a year or two, but that's the perk of having one of the youngest rosters in the league. We can afford to wait. Our window isn't closing. It's just opening. One last thing, the NBA's taught us anything. If you need superstars to win, look at the teams that have a realistic chance to win the title every year. They're all superstars, not all-stars, but superstars. The truth of the matter is the Jazz don't. Hayward is a good player, but not a superstar. Favors is a good, borderline, great power forward, but not a superstar. Gobert can anchor a great defense, but very limited offensively. Exum is very unknown at this point, and we don't know we can be. I take a gamble on Bender as a smart move that could pay huge dividends down the road. For those reasons, I pull the trigger on the deal. All right, you guys will get to comment. He has decided that Dragon Bender is the future of the NBA. Is really what he's done. So you'll have to decide your comments on Facebook and on Google Plus to determine whether or not you buy into this deal. I'm not going to sway opinion. I have my thought. You probably can figure out... Um, where my opinion is 
but there, it's available to you there. Uh, a few other thoughts uh, for you. Uh, Rodney Hood made the select team. Uh, I, I think this is great for Rodney because I think that uh, I think the the concept here is that Rodney gets exposed to playing against the best players in the game, and I think he fi- only finds out how good he is. We got to remember how how early Rodney still is in his progression. You know, this is year three. This is this is Rodney's jump year. Rodney needs to take a consistency jump this year. I think he'll be able to. Uh, I think it'll be exciting, and I think that's uh, that. This is part of the step that helps him. And he's such a worker. There's no question that he will that he will do that. Uh, Jeremy Lin has opted out in Charlotte, uh, and I, I think it's be very hard knowing Charlotte's cap situation for them to keep him. I'm not sure it works. Entirely for the Jazz, but I think he's just an interesting player. He's probably one of the elite backup point guards. Interesting one on Trey Burke, by the way. The more I look around rosters in the league, backup point guards a problem. Uh, you know, teams have uh, backup point guard. Backup point guards a little bit of a problem. Uh, let's go to the NBA Finals. One thing I think's jumping out at me during the finals is two-way players. Really hard to not have two-way players. You know, the the sole offensive player, the Kevin Love, even the Kyrie Irvings, uh, they're hard to keep on the floor. Or they're hard to hide in the finals. As you get deeper and further along, the two-way players is the most important. Game threes tonight, there's one play. I think I talked about this maybe on another tip-off or in another interview. I can't recall. There's one play that summed up the finals to me. The, the Warriors won... Got a guy who's not a two-way player and has a weakness, Andrew Bogut. He's just so non-factor offensively. So the Cavaliers put Kevin Love on him, trying to hide him. It's a really, it's a good game plan. The Warriors run through their sets. Cavaliers are switching or hedging on some of the picks, depending, doesn't even matter. And Andrew Bogut comes out to catch a pass at 17, 18 feet. And because he's not a threat there, Love stays in the middle of the lane, clogs the lane, and you think, all right, well, we've got a plan here to deal with the Warriors' number one weakness. And Steph Curry makes the pass to Bogan at 17 feet. He's no threat. And Curry comes right to the ball with whomever it was defending him. I'm not sure. Bogan hands off the ball and now picks the guy, let's call it Kyrie, guarding Curry, and because love is hung back, there's nobody to step out on the pick and switch. There's nobody to step back on the pick and help. There's no one that can do anything to Curry. Love realizes this now and comes charging, and Iguodala slips back to where Curry hits him for a lap. It, it, to me, showed the versatility of the Warriors. It showed the incredible gravity and importance of Steph Curry. It showed, as well... Just absolutely uh, the teamwork of the Warriors. And then it showed that here they have their one weakness and they're so prepared to deal with it. You know, there's the other play I talked about yesterday. I do know I talked about this yesterday. Where Draymond gets an open three because Kyrie's guarding Steph at at 30 feet. There's another play where Kyrie's face guarding Steph in the corner and the Warriors just go on a four and four set in the middle of the floor. Uh, some of this is the incredible gravity that is created by... Uh, Steph Curry, and it's it's very interesting to see 
how this is evolving and how this is playing. Uh, but the, I, I just don't know what the Cavaliers' answer is. I said the whole time, the only thought I have is the Cavaliers make a bunch of threes. Pelton wrote a nice piece, uh, kind of stretching on something Pelton and I have talked about a lot, which I believe in is actually the analytical model here, which is play slow, shoot a lot of threes. And then by doing that, you reduce the variance of the you excuse me. You increase the variance of the range of what can happen with your three pointers because if you get hot and there's reduced possessions, then I think you're you're in pretty good shape. Um, so I, I think you know the other thing is them going back to last year's model, but just banging a bunch of threes out of it. We'll see. You know, if it's three zero, we're going to see a pretty good will chip. By the way, the other one, you know, I got it. People always have to be negative. The the angle that should be talked about here is how special the Warriors are, not how bad the Cavaliers are. And probably the other angle is how damn good the darn good, excuse me, the Thunder are and the Spurs are. Right? Like somehow the Spurs, I got it, got lost in the shuffle, but they were historically great. The Thunder beat the historically great Spurs, pushed the maybe all time best, or at least the all time most dominating winningest team in the history of the game to the limit and now this team's blowing out the Cavaliers. We really should be looking at how great the Thunder, the Spurs, and the and the Warriors are, not how bad the Cavaliers are. What the Cavaliers are is they're the fourth or fifth best team in the NBA, and they happen to be in the East. That is Locked On Jazz. Have a good one. Talk to you soon.